0: If you or another Aggie you know are currently suffering from severe or generalized fear, stress, or anxiety and are seeking relief, please reach out to the CAPS Helpline. They provide a welcoming ear and can help refer you to their many other resources to help you during your difficult times. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back to the First Generation Aggies Podcast. We're your hosts, Abel and Isaac, and today we're here with Irvin Ventura, who is a Management Information System major here at Texas A&M, and he recently published his first book titled An Inch From Death, which talks about a traumatic experience he went through which led him on his journey of self-enlightenment and inner peace. So Irvin, how are you doing today?
1: Man, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here.
2: Nice. Good to meet you, man. Uh, I wanted to ask since so many people use the word enlightenment what's it what's the definition you have of it and maybe any little bit deeper explanation you have
1: Mm -hmm. so my personal definition for enlightenment is being able to perceive whatever demons or scars if you will as far as like you know traumatic experiences that a person may have and be able to view them with clarity and Mm -hmm. see the power that they possess instead of you know, seeing them as something that holds them back in life and something that dictates the way that they live and holds them back from living to their fullest potential. So when I use the word enlightenment, it's essentially like, you know, finally overcoming that and just understanding how an experience like the one that I experienced developed me into the person that I am now and contributed to my character in positive ways to where before it was something that I was really embarrassed about and really haunted me for years and you know kind of like the flip side of that is uh i would say enlightenment and i know generally the term enlightenment is used in like a very spiritual context as far as like buddhism or other religions uh i'm not quite there yet you know (laughs) like reaching that high level but um that's just kind of like my personal definition of how i see the word enlightenment
0: i like that i like that that's cool definitely So we look forward to hearing about your book and everything and you're a first generation student correct yes okay cool and then we'll get into that definitely too uh we we were excited to have you here on our podcast Uh, we're excited to share your story with all of our viewers and stuff and we'll obviously we'll have a link to your book down in the description and stuff like that uh so before we get into that we have a quick icebreaker question that we like to ask all our guests uh it's pretty typical and uh so let's go ahead and hit you with it it, the question is (laughs) if you could have dinner with any famous person dead or alive who would it be and why
1: all right so i have like two answers to that one of them is going to be kind of boring the other one's going to be like a little bit more relatable i guess so the first one would be uh socrates or like another famous like philosopher just because i feel like they were really influential and in, you know just developing schools of philosophy and thought and i wanted to like just sit down with them and see how how much of their ideas actually manifested into reality, like how we are now in the world and see if like, you know, just how much of their ideas can still like hold on today and just like get their input on things that, you know, we see in the world. Um, the other one would be Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> that's my favorite artist. And I think that'd be a pretty
2: interesting conversation. So.
0: <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Definitely Kendrick. I like this. I like the Socrates and Kendrick. Definitely. <laughs>
2: That's an interesting answer about the Socrates and the philosophers because a lot of the, I guess, sayings that they they came up with when they were, like, doing their studies in their schools, like, is what we use a lot now, I guess, as advice to each other, you know? So it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to know, like, the person who created that phrase or saying. Right, yeah. That's definitely a big reason why I would just
1: kind of, like, want to see and like, just actually see the way they think because, you know, like, we mm-hmm. just read kind of what they would say, but it's different to see you know, a person, like, spit out just, like, a stream of consciousness and see, like, their thought process, like, I think it'd be pretty interesting.
2: Could you, uh, could you maybe tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe how you entered your major at uh, Management Information System at a
1: Yeah, so um, a little bit about myself, I am from Houston, Texas, uh, specifically the southwest part known as A-Leaf, uh, I grew up with two Salvadorian parents uh, who weren't able to go to college, so a first-gen student. Um, growing up, I was always a good writer. Like uh, I remember, like in middle school and like earlier on, like I would be in writing classes, and teachers would kind of like, kind of like sometimes accuse me of cheating or like doing like saying that someone else did the work for me because they didn't think I was capable of writing like the way I did. And so, you know, writing which is always kind of a passion of mine and, um, you know, kind of like my interest in philosophy too, it kind of did allow me to just kind of think and just like put thoughts on paper and just like whatever I was feeling at the moment. Uh, and as far as like picking my major, um, I was always kind of like the tech savvy one in the house. Like I always like be on the computer just seeing like, oh, what does this do? Like, what does that do? Like, how can I you know, kind of, like, manipulator or whatever. Um, I was just always really interested in it. And my dad was always, like, uh, he's very business-minded. So from a young age, he kind of instilled that in me. It was like, you know, business is kind of the way to go if you want to, like, be a leader in the future and kind of set a path for yourself and your future generations. Um, like, I know, I think, uh, Isaac, you mentioned in one of your episodes that you have a nephew that is kind of like a motivation for you. Um mm-hmm. I can relate to that too. So I, I do have a younger nephew, uh, like a year old and kind of like that. And like what my dad would tell me, and like if you want to like lay a foundation for a generational wealth to be able to help your nephew and, you know, uh, anyone else in your family, like it's kind of the way to go. And I kind of agreed with him and, you know, like just the tech savvy part is kind of like what allowed me to pick that major. Cause it's kind of like getting both of those worlds and blame them and blending them in and the, into one major so um yeah that's pretty much why I decided to choose a major
2: nice and when did you start the process or I guess when did you know that you wanted to write a book about the experiences you went through so
1: going back to my father um the experience that I talk about in the book happened in 2015 uh, in June 2015 um And when it happened, I can go a little bit more in depth about the actual incident later on. But like when it happened, uh, it's probably like one of the worst positions I've been in my life. And my dad talked to me like after it kind of all happened. He told me, you know, like one day you'll be able to perceive the experience in a positive light. Like you'll be able to use it to benefit others and help people. And you might be able to do that through a book because he knew that I like to write a lot. And so the idea kind of like, was sparked in 2015 I would say but um
0: it was just like a long
1: process of recovery you know actually like being able to see with clarity so um you know three years of just thinking of growing recovering uh, it wasn't until like this year 2020 five years later you know like after that experience where I was able to finally like perceive it in a different light and understand that I could in fact use that story to help other people. And, um, it finally came to light in July of this year. So that's kind of like an overview of the process. Thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess since you talked about the perception of the situation that happened and how it's changed over time, which is something that maybe happens to a lot of people and we just don't pay attention to it. Uh, can you talk about if you're okay with going into maybe specifically, uh, what changed in the way you're perceiving things maybe it was just the way you looked at it or maybe it was new information
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely so I would say when the incident first happened uh, the way I perceived the situation which is I was I, I played very much like a victim I guess I would say uh, because obviously it was very traumatic and so I I would always just kind of like beat myself up and I couldn't let go of, you know, the fact that it happened. And I would just kind of like always relive that moment of, you know, failure because, uh, you know, at the time I wasn't in the best position in my life, you know, like I was doing drugs. I was not just overall, I wasn't in, in the best mental state. So I, considering that I was, you know, like a first gen student, um, I would always just kind of, like, hate myself because, you know, I was like, this isn't why my parents came to America. Like, they came here so I could be better than them, not for me to, like, put myself in a situation like that and be a failure, live up to the status quo of minorities being in the in the, um, the criminal justice system, you know, like, sucked in, um, being in and out of court a lot and stuff. Um, I would, like, beat myself up over that, and I really did hate myself to a point where, like, I just couldn't enjoy life and I definitely played that victim mentality a lot. And so what changed now is um, just clarity, just understanding how that experience shaped my character, how it made me stronger. It made me more, I guess, um, less susceptible to negativity almost like I, when something bad happens, I'm a little bit more firm. I can stand my ground. I don't immediately let myself go into like a rabbit hole of thought and just be pessimistic. Like I'm a little bit more, uh, I guess stronger in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lot more empathetic, I would say too, because being that low in my life and, uh, a word I use, I like to use to describe it a lot as suffering, you know, like ideas in Buddhism kind of, like, um, Got me to perceive it that way, but like to see what it genuinely felt like to suffer and go through some really dark times made me realize like I'm probably not the only one. So, something I should try to do with my life is help people and like try to spread as much love and wisdom to the world because there's a lot of suffering going on in the world. And being able to firsthand experience that myself kind of really uh, motivated me to like just want to be better. I mm-hmm. want to do whatever i can to help as many people as i can and it's like i'm I'm still not perfect you know like i'm still working on myself i'm not the person i want to be quite yet but you know being able to work on myself and help people at the same time uh, having that mindset i can honestly say um i don't know if i would have gotten that if it weren't for the incident so mm-hmm. that's a little bit of an overview like on the transformation
0: yeah definitely definitely i, I definitely want to go into more of um your, you know, your dive into sort of Buddhism and you know this whole developing mental health and you know gaining that clarity in a second. Okay. But before we keep going on, I'm pretty sure our viewers are interested. And if you feel comfortable enough, you know, could you give us a sneak peek of the book and you know about this traumatic interest, um, incident and you know just something so our viewers could have a little more insight?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, like I mentioned before, um, up to the point of the incident, I was. Like, not in the best mental state. I was doing drugs. Um, I was 16 years old, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so, basically, I was out one night um, doing stuff that I wasn't supposed to be doing. It was about, like, um, like 1 or 2 a.m. at night. Uh, it was in Houston.
0: Okay.
1: I was at a nearby park with some friends. Um, and... Essentially, we got pulled over in the parking lot of the park, and two of my friends got arrested. And when they got arrested, I remember just kind of, like, being to the side and, like, not knowing what to do, because, you know, I'm so sure fast. I could relate. Yeah, it all happened so fast, and, you know, uh, I'm sure y'all could relate. Like, being uh, Latinos, like, yeah. Latino parents do not play, like, like, when it comes to, like, trouble with the law or anything, mm-hmm. like, I was just thinking about like my parents are gonna kill me like yeah
0: crap. <laughs>
1: and so like that was just like the main thing running through my mind like i just wasn't thinking straight so i decided to run from the cops
0: oh, okay. and
1: so i ran um i went into like a forest i hid for like an hour or so and while i was in the forest i remember seeing a helicopter like in the sky like oh. and i was like there's no way they're looking for me like i don't think i'm that important for them to send a helicopter but it turns out like they did they sent a helicopter to find me in that situation and so um time went on the helicopter was hovering around and then they got a bunch of police officers to surround the forest where it was and i just remember seeing a bunch of units in the distance with uh, you know flashing red and blue lights everywhere and um yeah, like, I was terrified, like, with all that going on around. Like, I just wasn't thinking straight. Um, I was terrified. And so, eventually, I saw, like, police officers on foot, like, trying to find me. And so, when I saw that, like, I knew I was kind of over. Like, I just had to give up. And so, I tried to surrender. And they had some canine officers, like the, like the German Shepherds. Mm-hmm. And so, when I did surrender, they let one of the dogs go and it bit me on the leg and so it was a really deep bite and it like dragged me out of the forest and it was like clenching and uh, the reason the book is titled an inch away from death is because when I went to the hospital afterwards uh, the the doctor I guess told me that if the bite was one inch deeper it would have cut through one of the main arteries in my body and I would have died and so the bite was that deep. And it was a really traumatic experience just because uh, on top of like the dog biting me, um, the officers were just not, <laughs> like they didn't handle the situation the best I would say. Um, mm-hmm. They laughed at me like while I was on the ground and like they didn't help me at all. And they just kind of like watched me like almost die. And like- uh, And you were 16 like, at this time, correct? Correct. And so, like, um, yeah, like I mean, like just fighting for your life and like hearing people laugh at you, like that kind of messes you up. And so, yeah, like I went to the hospital. Um, I went to two different hospitals actually. Um, I got surgery in downtown or Texas Children, yeah, Texas Children's Hospital in, in downtown Houston.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there I saw my parents, and that was one of the most difficult things to go through, you know, like see my parents after all that happened. And, uh, you know, I had surgery. I, I made it through, I got stitches on my leg. Um, I ended up going to a juvenile detention center after the surgery for like a night. And then uh, my parents got me out. And then the next, i say, like, six months after the incident, I was kind of, like, in and out of court um, until, like, December of that year. And while in court, I was able to see a lot of things that did teach me a lot about the society that we live in, but simultaneously, I kind of don't... I, I kind of don't wish upon people to see it just because it's very... uh, it, it, it does something to you because... um. I was able to just see how much, how many young individuals with so much potential get into the, become incarcerated because I saw a lot of Hispanic and African Americans in there, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in there for charges like murder, like assault and things like that. And that was like the majority. And so that was, like, a really big moment where I realized, like, well, like, there really is an issue here. Like, there really is a systemic racism here. And so seeing that, um, I actually even, even saw one of my friends in there, and that was a pretty crazy wow. moment for me. Uh, he was, like, in a jumpsuit, chained up. I was like, man, like, if I don't change my life, like, this is going to be me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up getting probation for a while, and I completed my probation and thankfully got my charges dropped, even though I had a felony in there. Um, but I got, I was able to get it dropped just cause you know, I really showed the judge and my lawyers that like I turned my life around. And so, yeah, I mean, I was able to kind of leave that part of my life behind me once and for all. And that was a uh, senior year of high school when I was finally like off probation and everything. But, um, that's like the first part of the book. The second part is more so about like the the aftermath. So, you know, getting off of probation wasn't the end of it. Mm-hmm. I started to really realize the, the repercussions of it mentally, because I started, you know, just becoming very paranoid. I started dealing with a lot of anxiety. I was constantly experiencing depression and a lot of things I just didn't understand why. But you know, through time and reflection, um, I was able to realize that a lot of it was kind of tied to who I was back then when that incident happened. And so the second part kind of dives into like, what exactly happened to me after as far as like, you know, suicidal urges, uh, addictions and things like that. And the third part is just like clarity and enlightenment, if you will, like, realizing that that single incident doesn't have to like, hold me back like the trauma and anxiety and things like that like don't have to hold me back and so finally being able to just be at peace with myself and realize that you know there's there's so much to do in the world there's so much you know people there's so many people to help so much love to spread so much wisdom to like obtain so that's kind of like i guess uh an overview of what the book were you
0: able know. to make a full recovery on your leg
1: Oh yeah, thankfully. Yeah? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, I I still have the scars and uh, I do have nerve damage. So, Ooh. um, for example, like when I go to the gym and like I do leg day, like it feels weird sometimes <laughs> when I try to like, cause it's, it's like on my thigh, like really high on my thigh. So, it does feel weird sometimes, but I mean, I'm I'm walking, so <laughs> yeah, thankfully. I
2: I wanted to I wanted to ask you about being from the Houston area, all three of us. Uh, I think it's pretty common knowledge that the alien area has always been seen as a more economically impoverished area and how probably, like you said, you even saw a friend of yours in uh, prison or the juvenile detention center. Um, so how some generic experience you went through for people who lived in your area, which is going through a booking and a arresting, how you were able to turn that around into being able to write a book, which is something that I feel like a lot of people – That may have your experience don't even think about doing and why you decided to or like you said to share you a little bit of your experience with others but maybe other reasons why you decided to uh, to write the book
1: um so I guess a big reason why I decided to write the book is just um I think a lot of the motivation started in college because in college you know being able to join student organizations I was able to see that mental health is something that a lot of people struggle with it's not uncommon at all it's very common and so um
0: and it's almost frowned upon specifically you know in uh first generation you know students right it's a a taboo subject
1: right because um you know typically um the parents of first-gen students don't understand what it means to be depressed or to experience anxiety. And it's, it's not their fault. It's just, um, I think people in our society are more susceptible to it just because of the nature of, you know, like just kind of like the world we live in. But um, going back to your question, Isaac, um, yeah, like being able to just to talk to different people and make different friends and hearing their experiences with mental health and things they struggle with and being fortunate to kind of overcome that phase of my life and not to say I'm like a hundred percent recovered. I say like, I, I I'm doing a lot better, like way better, but, um, being in a position where I can openly talk about it and give advice, I felt like it's kind of a moral responsibility I had mm-hmm. because, um, I kind of perceive that like the universe put me through that situation for a reason. And I can't take that in vain. You know, I have to, it's almost like a calling that I had, I guess. Like I had to go through that so I can help make the world a better place or help other people with their experiences. And, you know, some people can go through an experience like that and not make it through. And so the fact that I was an inch away from death told me that it it wasn't a coincidence or it wasn't. You know, just random, like it. Mm -hmm. That meant something, you know, like being that close to dying and not dying. Like it kind of seemed like it meant something, and there was more to that situation that I just didn't understand in the moment. But now that I do, so I guess the influence part was, uh, you know, just understanding how common these issues are, and even though my situation is pretty unique, like not many people may experience that. you know, poor mental health is something that a lot of people can relate to. And so I just kind of like wanted to, I guess, share why I'm able to talk about it before, I'm able, before I just like openly talked about it because, you know, I feel like if I just told people like, you know, here's how you handle depression, here's how you handle anxiety, they're going to be like, well, what makes you so credible? Like, why do you, why are you able to talk about this? And mm-hmm. I guess kind of like uh, establish credibility, if you will. And just kind of just be open and uh, practice some humility and vulnerability, if you will. So.
0: Yeah, and that's the first step, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, just accepting, you know, accepting it that happened, and you can't change it, but you could, you just learn to live with it. And talking about it, right? That's one of the first steps, talking about it. Um, so that's yeah. you know,
1: yeah, definitely for sure.
0: A question I have is, you know, more general terms. What what's some um, something you did that helped you through your, you know, mental health struggle some, a practice you took up or, you know, is it reading, writing, or, mm-hmm. you know, what what's something that you did that you'd recommend to other first-generation students who just struggle with mental health in general?
1: Um, something that I really did to help myself first and foremost was, it was reading kind of like you mentioned. Um, a book that I would recommend to anyone who, like maybe they're struggling in life or want some guidance on mental health or how to make their life better is 12 rules for life by jordan peterson that was a book that really shifted the way i was perceiving my my struggles and so reading and just getting different perceptions and being exposed to different ways of thinking can help you a lot and it can truly be transformative if you let it be because it's one thing to like read a book and it's another thing to read it and apply it and so taking that initiative to apply like whatever concepts you're you're reading or even another thing is um youtube so (laughs) honestly like i watched a lot of youtube videos on mental health and things like that and something that that experience kind of made me realize is that Uh, we use our cell phones for a lot of different reasons sometimes like reasons that don't have a real return on investment an investment of your time Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: you can use it for things that can really make your life a lot better and you can learn some really beautiful and transform transformative things through youtube or you know whatever app or anything on your phone so you know watching youtube videos on you know understanding why certain mental health struggles occur or you know just getting a better understanding of like what's going on in your life and like why you're struggling with what you struggle with so youtube was really a really useful tool for that um a channel that i watched a lot was actualize.org it's like a it's a channel where the 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 content creator goes into like really deep psychological topics and just overall kind of talks about how to navigate struggles and just kind of like free yourself from whatever may be holding you back. Um, Another thing is kind of like you mentioned before, able vulnerability and just acceptance. So when you aren't able to make yourself vulnerable and accept your situation, you can really hold yourself down and get in your own way. Because, I mean, no one is proud to be depressed or no one's proud to experience anxiety. It's something that, like we said before, it's taboo. And so kind of letting go of the pride and just kind of succumbing and surrendering and saying, okay, like this is something that I struggle with and I have to accept that. I have to accept the fact that I'm not perfect. I struggle with this and this and this. And that can be done in a number of ways, you know, writing. um, But I think speaking to people is like the most effective way. And um, for someone who maybe just came to college and doesn't really have a social circle to talk to, I would say, I mean, even telling your parents maybe. And that's one of the most difficult things to do because I did have those conversations with my parents and tell them, hey, like, I'm struggling with this. Anxiety, depression. I have suicidal urges, and they just didn't understand because you know it's not their fault. It's just they they never experienced it because we live different lives. And so, um, just openly telling my parents about it just made me feel a lot freer, and it made me realize, okay, like this doesn't have to dictate my whole life. Like this is something I can free myself from, and. (laughs) It's, it's, a, it's a long process. So another piece of advice I would say is make a promise to yourself that you're going to do anything in your power to overcome whatever demons you have, whatever struggles you have, you know, like just make a promise to yourself that you're going to do everything in your power to overcome that and grow to love yourself, but love the person that you can become even more because you should always definitely you know strive to to pursue the version of yourself that you want to become because i mean we all have things that we want to improve upon Um, none of us are like a hundred percent content with ourselves so there's like a few things that i would recommend to someone who may be having similar struggles
0: yeah definitely and in in our pre-interview i know there's one quote that you said um that I, i see here it's pretty cool it says don't be afraid to let your old self go don't get attached to the person you you are now <clears throat> plan for the future but don't forget you're living in the present which you right. know you we're all trying to get better day by day and the only person you should be comparing yourself to is the version of you yesterday so uh, yeah. I really like that and and on, on the back going backtracking to the whole you know you said your parents didn't really understand the whole mental health thing I feel like uh, us first-gen students have a double whammy because you know generation to generation mental health was never really took serious but I think the last generation as a whole, you know, it's it's it just never was. And then us being first gen students from, you know, Salvadorian or you know parents or Mexican parents or stuff like that, I feel we have a uh, we have that standard of machismo, which is you know yeah. like uh, you're sad, you know, just just man up. That's it, <laughs> you know. That's yeah. sort of what that's you know it's a it's a stigmatism that you know we we deal with both the, those sides. And that's why I was really excited to have you on this episode and talk about your book. Uh, your struggle because that's the first step. You know, us talking about it, and I was excited to have this episode on mental health because it, it's a, t- a topic that you know it's kind of steered away from, but it's awesome to get into uh, depth on it and talk about you know talk about it with you guys definitely. Yeah,
2: and it uh, it also I feel like is something that is becoming so much more popular now in a good way uh, because so many more people are talking about it. We're having a podcast about it, and I feel like that's the that's the. Big barrier that everyone was maybe past generations couldn't overcome was that fear of even talking about it. And I feel like that's why it's it's really good to to shed light on personal situations that everyone goes through. You know, because I guess uh like so what Abel was saying that even though there might be people who who are listening or who go to A and M who haven't been through traumatic experiences uh, like the one you have, that everyone still deals with anxiety and depression in their own ways and. Like you said, the more we talk about it and the more we're able to understand it, the easier it'll be for everyone around each other to just, I guess, be more patient, I guess is a good way of putting it. With right. with
1: Yeah, um, I'm actually thinking about an interview that I saw with Andre 3000, who is another one of my favorite rappers. He talks about how, you know, you guys mentioned how mental health is starting to become something that's a little bit more widely accepted and people are more willing to talk about it. And it just kind of makes you think about, you know, people from past generations who experienced it, but there weren't labels for it back then. You know, people mm-hmm. just thought it was like, I, I don't know, like, I don't even know how they dealt with it. It's just, it's an interesting thought to think about, you know, how much our society has advanced. And it it makes you think about how, how much people in the past might have struggled. It's just, there wasn't any help or even less like words to describe what it was that you probably just like, Oh, like it's maybe surprising. like a religious, yeah. Like, a maybe even like a religious connotation to it. We don't know, but it's, it's an interesting thing to think about.
0: And then one thing too, is to keep an eye out on your friends you know, cause you never know who's going through it. And there's some warning signs that, you know, you could see and stuff like that, that you got to keep an eye out. And for freshmen, you know, um, college is not just about the academics. A big part of it is the spiritual journey and the person you become at the end. Uh, That's another quote I stole from Irvin. He said in his (laughs) pre-interviews, I just wanted to bring that up because I I like that quote as well. Um, Do you want to talk more about that, Irvin?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I had a professor freshman year that would always tell us that when you go to college, if you're... And when you walk that stage, if you're still the same person that you were when you came in, then you did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess like by the spiritual journey, uh, a little bit kind of like what I am in about that is me personally, I like to label anything that is deeply transformative and contributes to pursuing the next version of yourself can be deemed as spiritual almost. And that kind of ties into the previous quote that you mentioned of like, don't get attached to yourself, like don't be afraid to let yourself go and evolve into a different person. And so with college, um, there are a lot of things that I didn't realize were gonna happen when I came in. So one of the main things was college can really change the way you perceive the world because I guess me, for example, coming from Southwest Houston, uh, a leaf it's kind of like a bubble and so Mm. i was just so accustomed to the culture there and the norms there. a very diverse community and so coming here um i never really grew up around caucasian individuals so there was a culture shock Mm. there and just growing to understand how different the culture of many of the people that i interacted with here just showed me that okay like what i think i know is right doesn't necessary isn't necessarily right you know like there's so many different ways to go about life there's no right way to do it there's just different ways to do it Mm -hmm. and so just changing the way that you can perceive the world whether it's like through different cultures or just whatever it is like the, the education itself it could be um just change the way that you think about the world um also being in a new place alone can force your it can force you to get to know yourself and that can be a good thing or a bad thing because um you know college culture is very much like the social aspect of college can very much be you know going out and drinking getting blackout drunk or like doing drugs or whatever it can be so uh, the more I've gone through college, the more I see it's like people are just trying to either find an escape from themselves or finding an escape from responsibility. And, you know, I think the the truly dangerous one is when you're trying to find an escape from yourself, whatever, for whatever reason it is. Um, everyone has their own reasons, but that can be a really difficult thing to do. And a lot of people just don't want to have a conversation with themselves to understand, like, whatever it is that they aren't content with themselves about. So, um, you know, spending a lot of time alone forces you to get to know yourself and have a conversation with yourself and you can either grow to resent yourself and try to seek an escape or, you know, try to love yourself and use this as an opportunity for growth and taking risks and, you know, just, going back to the main theme, like, transforming into a different person. And I can honestly say that I, I've i experienced, like, both sides, more so the side of um, going to love myself and taking risks and trying new things. But, I mean, like, I'm not perfect. Like, did go down the other route, too, like, trying to escape from myself. And I'm sure a lot of people in college can relate to that, too. It's just not something we talk about, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
2: And as far as going to A&M, is there a specific reason that even though you were worried about uh, the culture change as as I was too, uh, being first generation, what made you still decide to go to AM even knowing that there was going to be that little difference?
1: Yeah. Um, so obviously A&M gives a lot of money to 1st students. So that <laughs> was definitely a factor. But I mean, just coming here and you know getting a tour of the campus um, I don't know what it was it's like something just told me like this is where you should be it was just kind of like the feeling that I had and I was like okay and as far as you know like the culture shock and expecting that um I saw it as an opportunity to almost be like an ambassador for you know where I was from um, I didn't want it to be something that held me back. I wanted it to be, like, an opportunity for me to lead by example and start playing my part to break the stigma of, you know, minorities not going to college or, like, minorities being dumb or whatever, like, preconceived notions of people may have. I wanted to play my part to break that. And, I mean, I did have people tell me, like, oh, like, you're going to go to A&M, you're going to be, like, you're going to change, you know, you're going to fall into the culture that persists there. But I mean, I, I don't regret my decision at all. I honestly do love it here. I love all the opportunities I've been given. And, you know, I know the, the social and political atmosphere here can be, can have some tension to it, but I mean, if we don't take the initiative, you know, as first gen students to put ourselves in these positions and despite whatever, you know, maybe going on, then who is, you know, we yeah. have to be the ones to take that leap, and we have to be the ones to lead by example, and, yeah, you know,
0: Definitely. try to change things. <laughs> yeah, I like that, I like that, uh, because, you know, A&M gets knocked hard for not, you know, being very diverse, or whatever, but like you said, I they, I feel like they do try, you know, they, they do really do promote diversity, I feel like every week in my, uh, you know, A&M email, I get something about diversity inclusion, you know, join this, join that, something about diversity. So I feel like they really do try. And like you said, they give money. So unfortunately, <laughs> some people take advantage of that money, you know, use it for other yeah. stuff and stuff <laughs> like that, which I, you know, it, it kind of gives us a bad representation. <laughs> but, but you know, what can we do? But us, you know, we try to, you know, break that, you know, this. We nah, want to be the diversity, you know. Yeah, we want to be the diversity, bring it here and grow it. You know, I, I re- like you said, I I got a culture shock too when I came here. Definitely, just like i all three of us did, and but I still want my kids to come here. I still want you know yes. generations after to come here and just grow and you know because um, it's a great college. Like you said, so much opportunity. The people it, there's sometimes it does you know the political tension these days. You know there's there's tension stuff, but that could be found everywhere. I feel like Aggies at heart. You know we take care of one another, and the Aggie so Aggie network is so strong. you know we look out for one another and stuff like that so it's good to be a part of that and uh, yeah yeah
1: definitely man um like you said like a and m is by no means perfect and you know they're they're not i don't think they're quite where they want to be yet but they're definitely trying Mm -hmm. You you can definitely see it so yeah i definitely do appreciate everything they do to you know like try to
2: help us and also there's there's only so much i guess the school as an organization can do because what it really comes down to, I guess is the culture and the people who make up the culture of a or the students itself. So that's why, that's why it's good to have conversations like these and have conversations about topics that maybe people are scared to talk about because just the same way that we're worried about coming into an environment that has a certain reputation and certain culture, uh, even though there's that fear, there's also a lot that we can gain, like you were saying, uh, I guess a, lo- a little story I have is that I-, I never fished when I was growing up. I don't, it just wasn't a thing. My family was hey,
1: me neither, brother. So <laughs> me neither. <good. yeah.
2: laughs> so, uh, so coming into a I-, I I remember my freshman year in Galveston, it was uh, not not fair in Galveston at all. At- they're not at fault, but it was just a really uh, dull town, I guess. Not much to do. And because of that, I just ended up one day hitting up one of my friends that I met there to ask him if he could teach me how to fish. And it was a guy who, like we talked about, he came from a different culture and we didn't really have too much to to connect on or talk about. But whenever I did end up going with him on that experience, like it showed me that I can learn something from someone else, even though I feel like maybe they don't want me here. You know, like I feel like maybe that's the idea we have in our head. But you can always find good-hearted people who are who are willing to show you um, just how kind they are and, and who you can build good experiences with. And I think that's what I feel like is the only, I guess, thing that people should be trying more. You know, is getting out there and having conversations and meeting people that aren't from our our backgrounds. You know.
1: No, no, definitely, man. I, I, I really, I'm really glad you brought that up because. I think uh, something that a lot of people fail to understand is that the reasons for these, you know, maybe like uh, social or political tensions that persist is because of ignorance a lot of time, you know, people don't understand each other. And so I really do agree with you when you say it's important to like, just have a conversation because if people had conversations more and took the time to understand each other, then I truly believe that a lot of these issues would not be as severe as they may be. Or because, as i mean, as well. Right. So, I mean, conversations are powerful, man. Because when you when you grow to truly understand who a person is at their core, despite the color of their skin, despite their culture, you see that we're all just human beings. We're all just trying to figure life out. Like, you know, we're mm-hmm. trying to navigate the suffering. You know, like we're all. And this together and it's just ignorance I guess in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Definitely a lot of times.
0: And a quick plug for our org, you know, um, we, we tried like we said earlier, we're we're trying to bring the diversity diversity here and we we're trying to make A and M, you know, more diverse place. And our organization is new and like, you know, we just started last semester, uh, I mean last year, last year and zero members and now we're at over 200 and that's because first gen students you know like us we we want to find a place where we could be part of the culture and stuff like that and that's that's what you know what we do and it's good to be a part of this Oregon stuff
2: like all it was i guess it, once you really think about it, it all boils down to one person which is the the founding president of our organization Kevin making the decision of hey i see this environment that I'm in and all I want to do is create something so that people can have those conversations, you know, an organization for people to talk. And through that, it, it's, it's been able to spawn this podcast. uh Is just one of the things that's been able to create. And it just mm-hmm. shows how the power of one person as like our president, Kevin, who started the organization and you who have written the book, how one person can impact a lot of people around them, even though we're told so much that, that we can't, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah definitely
1: yeah yeah definitely man um shout out to President aggies i (laughs) I was telling um alexander like during the pre-screening interview where uh, we talked about the org a little bit i was like man like i wish this would have been around my freshman year because if i would have known about it like i for sure would have like yeah it so i mean it's awesome like what your president's been able to do like what y'all have been able to do because i mean no doubt you guys are making impact and you know, having conversations where you can generally like listen to one another is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And you guys are helping so many people with this. So, yeah. you know, the the impact starts with the uh, the desire. You know, mm-hmm. You see a problem, the entrepreneurial spirit that I'm sure your president has. You know, fix the problem in a way mm-hmm. from a place of love. So,
0: definitely, it's right. awesome, y'all. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Well, it looks like we're about sort um, of toward the end of our interview here. Uh, before we let you go, we wanted to. A- Ask so. Irvin has a book, "An Inch Away from Death," and where can they, our pe- people, find that book? We will link everything down below. But he's going to talk about it for a second.
1: Yeah. So you can find the book on Amazon. There is a ebook version and a paperback version as well.
0: Okay. Cool. Cool. And before we let you go, the last thing is we usually ask our guests, "What is a favorite quote or a quote that you try to live by?"
1: Yeah, so I'd say my favorite quote of all time is from Carl Jung, who's a Swiss psychiatrist. And the quote is, no tree can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) there's a lot of power in that quote, and it definitely kind of helps me recalibrate. You know, if I'm struggling with something, I just think about, okay, like, there's a purpose for this you know i can't get to a better place if i don't struggle a little bit first you know so mm-hmm. i would say that's probably my favorite quote of all time
0: yeah wow that's a nice, a nice one never heard that one that's different it's cool <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well before you do the outro uh i'll just give one last little statement too um mm-hmm. oh yeah i just want to say the that to go check out the book go check out an inch away from death it's aggie supporting aggies uh, Check out the podcast, come join the org. It's conversations that you can have with people that, that are, have things in common with you, you know? It's, it's all about supporting each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And before we let you viewers go, we wanted to mention that if you or someone you else you know is interested in being a guest on our podcast and have an enlightening first-gen story or have beneficial resources that first-gen students should be aware of, please contact the email you're viewing on your screen right now at the bottom of your screen. Also, a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Northwest Drivetrain and Services, located in Houston and Texas. They offer a wide variety of semi-truck parts and services, such as drive shaft repairs and transmission and differential rebuilds. So if you or someone you know owns a big rig, be sure to tell them to check out Northwest Drivetrain and Services for any of their semi-truck needs. And last but not least, don't forget to wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance, and giga maggies.